Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To Puck University, I'm your host, Tim Williams, joining you from down in the Tampa Bay area and joining us, as always, from up in Boston, Chris Lynch, our New England correspondent. Chris, before we get into the hockey, it is Halloween. It is Wednesday, October 31st, and that means it's also the day of the Boston Red Sox Championship Parade. You were there, and then you had to drive through it to get to the studio to talk to me today. So tell us a little bit about that, just because it's something going on. And, well, I I know we're both fans of that team, so it's it's a good thing to start off with. Uh, yeah, it was worth every single bit of it. I mean, I, I'm crazy enough that I, for the 18-inning game on Friday night, after I went to BC for their football game against Miami, I listened to the entire thing and it took longer than just my Uber ride to get back home. And I stayed up until three in the AM until that game was all done, even though I had work at 10 and uh, stayed up and listened to it. So um, this is the, I, I'm just realizing, and I've, I've known for a while, but I have to consistently remind myself, Boston is spoiled rotten as a sports city. Cause I say I've been to, two victory parades now one was for the patriots after they won their super bowl over the falcons the one when they were down 28-3 the second one uh was not as cold not as windy it was a really good crowd boston turns out for their stuff i mean they always have and uh they care about their sports up here and uh it was it was a blast to get to go through it it was a nightmare to drive not that it isn't normally a nightmare to navigate around Boston uh, via your own personal automobile. If you've ever been into Boston, then you understand just how terrible it can be. But man, is it worth it. Meanwhile, the uh, the good folks at Boston University and Boston College are very happy that there is something to distract from uh, just the how poor their starts have been to their hockey season because they could look at it and go, oh, man. There's a sports thing that people are going to overlook us for right now because they're celebrating the Red Sox. Thank God that there's a distraction. It's it's the biggest topic I think we can talk about this week. We talked about last week on the show how much BC needed to look good against St. Cloud State on Thursday night at Connie Forum. St. Cloud State came in as the number two team in the country. BC, of course, has been reeling. They have that long out-of-conference losing streak. They needed to get off the schneid. 
and this didn't help. It's one thing to lose to the number two team in the country. There would be no shame in that. But 7 nothing. This is a historic kind of beating for a Boston College program that had high hopes coming into the season, still has high hopes as their conference play really hadn't gotten started yet, but they are on their heels. In fact, they are on the mat right now. Boston College has had a disastrous start. 0-4 so far this season. They're averaging four and a half goals allowed, and for context, that's 53rd in uh in the nation out of 60 i mean that's also tied with bu and cornell but we'll allow cornell a little bit of slack because they've only played two games and it's against a surprisingly good michigan state team about whom we can't say poor sparty apparently but we're gonna uh, get into that later in the show that michigan state deserves a bit of a spotlight from us because i've been making fun of them so much for being poor sparty for a while but we'll get into that in a little bit yeah, so they're averaging very, very poor uh, defense. But what's even more shocking on the offensive end, 1.25 goals for the Eagles so far this season through four games. The only teams with with uh, poorer offenses, Colgate, Alaska, uh, and Alabama-Huntsville are the only schools that have uh, a worse offense through the start of their respective seasons. And at least Colgate has two wins out of their five, five games that they've played. BC hasn't won a single game. And there's maybe one that you hypothetically could say that they looked kind of good in. It was the shootout seven to five game that uh, they had against, um, against Wisconsin up in Madison back on the 13th. But other than that, They've also been they've been shut out in three out of their four games. Now I joked with some people on press row of that game about, oh they lose, but then they uh, get into hockey East uh, season and then voodoo magic happens and all of a sudden they're in the uh, the hockey East uh, semifinals again, which that's totally possible. Uh, but the way that they've started off three nothing to Wisconsin, seven five to Wisconsin, one nothing to Quinnipiac when they got three shots on goal in the first period. And seven nothing to St. Cloud, boy, there's uh, there's real pause for concern. And the only thing that's keeping uh, BC fans with any bit of warmth is the fact that their neighbors not too far up the road on Commonwealth Avenue are squirming kind of just as badly. And BU's start hurts a little bit more because they've lost two very very bad games in conference. At least BC has the pillow of they haven't started conference play yet. BU has. And they've looked bad so far in conference. Yeah, just buttoning it up on BC, the thing that that gets me the most with this is it's really hard to explain how Boston College ended up in this spot. Joseph Wall, the junior goaltender for BC, has been one of the best in the country for a while. He's been someone to look at as he's been able to keep them in games where they haven't been playing well, but he's had a pretty rough start to the season himself. And of course, you look at the bench and there's no doubt about it. Jerry York's an all-timer when it comes to college hockey. He's the all-time leader in wins. He's an institution in this sport. 
and it's not like he's just fallen off a cliff either. So this is a talented team. It's a well-coached team, but they're not getting results and they're not looking good. And it's one of those things that's just hard to really wrap your mind around. I mean, sometimes it happens where it just doesn't go right. And it might be that absolutely nothing has gone right. But in that St. Cloud game, they just looked lost. I don't think I can underscore enough just how there were chances for shots that didn't turn into shots. There were bad passes that were made. They fumbled the puck in front of their net. The, the, uh, I honestly, through the first four games, uh, their goaltending, I honestly think actually has been fine. Nothing special, nothing great, but fine. You know, Joe Wall and Ryan Edquist have done they there are probably a couple goals that each of them have given up that they would want back, but I don't think this is a goaltender problem because I think they've done by and large what you can hope for and what you can expect out of them, especially when their blue line is shockingly bad. I mean, wow, 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 do Michael Caro, Luke McInnes, Michael Kim, Casey Fitzgerald, Connor Moore, they look lost. They just they look really bad. Their forwards look okay at, at some points. The bottom parts of their forwards haven't looked very good, but that blue line has been shockingly terrible. And a bunch of those shots that St. Cloud got were rebounds when the blue line didn't get back and help clear the puck away, or points when they got point blank shots. This is a a case of a defense that isn't helping their goaltenders out. And if the Eagles are going to go anywhere. It needs really to start with uh, Fitzgerald and McInnes among the others on the blue line to, you know, not allow so many point blank opportunities on their guys because Wool is and Edquist are both capable of making saves. It's just they're getting no help right now. And I didn't think we'd be saying this about the Eagles uh, early on in the season or at all, really. Well, they get they get a chance to get at least on the winning side of a couple of games. They start their hockey East play this weekend with a home and home with Merrimack. Now, Merrimack's looked pretty surprising early on at times, but this these are two games Boston College should win and absolutely must win. I'll agree with that. Uh, Merrimack's a curious team. They uh, they lost narrowly against Lake State win narrowly at Bentley, lose narrowly at uh, Army, look really good against BU to open up their schedule. They split with UMass, uh, who, by the way, uh, UMass Amherst has been awesome so far this year. They lose five, uh, Merrimack loses 5-1 in Amherst. I don't think there's really any shame to that. The Mullen Center is becoming a really hard place to play. They then battle the Minutemen tight and lose in overtime. Uh, 4-3, uh, actually there was one suspension per side for um uh for each of these teams coming out of it so i'm sure that uh, they really like each other after the weekend but uh merrimack can put a real surprise into you especially at home because this series of home and home with the saturday game at uh, excuse me with the friday game at merrimack i think this is a really interesting weekend and i think bc needs to put on a good showing otherwise uh well we might be looking at uh we might be looking at a really, really long season uh, in the Heights. It, it's already been a rough start in Chestnut Hill. And moving down Com Ave a bit, it's been a rough start in Alston as well for Boston University, who's just 
scuffling. We mentioned they needed that game with Providence. They needed to look good. Providence is, of course, the favorite in Hockey East. At this point, they've looked as good as anybody. They've looked like the class of that conference, with the exception of a weird game at Sacred Heart. But Boston University needed this game, and they just didn't get it. They lost five to nothing at Aganis and talk about programs that are reeling Boston university still looking for their first win under Albie O'Connell. And, uh, they raised it's, it's uh, really funny. They raised their championship banner at home for winning hockey East over Providence and then Providence 58 seconds into the game. Jack Dugan gets the opening goal. And uh, this, it it didn't even, I wasn't here. I wasn't at that game, which part of me just for the story's sake would have been uh, really intrigued to get to see how that worked itself out. Just, you know, would have been really interesting. The, uh, the BU supporter in me is thinking, thank God I didn't end up going to this game because I think I would have, I, I think it would have hurt uh, because I'll admit that I'm spoiled. And that I've seen one year in which uh, BU really didn't play particularly well because uh, it was David Quinn's first season. And that's the only thing that is giving me some bit of cause is that in David Quinn's first year, BU was an under 500 team and not very good. The year prior, Jack Parker's final season, the Terriers went to the Hockey East Championship game, lost one nothing to Lowell but they lost in a very close game to a team that went to the Frozen Four that year. The next year, they were an under-500 team and pretty bad. The year after, they were in the national championship game. That's the only thing that is giving me any sense of positivity right now because in that Providence game, here are the shot totals from the, uh, from the periods. Providence won the first period shot battle 5-4. to four. I'm going to repeat that again, 5-4. to four. They won the second period 17 to 5, and they won the third period 17 to 9. This wasn't just a uh, things not exactly working well for BU. This is a case of no, absolutely nothing worked for BU. So I would be concerned if I'm the Terriers because they look truly awful against a Providence team that they should at least be competitive with. And uh, just just be concerned if you're a Boston fan that isn't from Northeastern or Harvard. Just there's a lot of concern at the schools with Boston in their name as well. There should be. Well, and it was a strange start for Harvard too. We mentioned how good that game was going to be on the road at Dartmouth, and it was a beauty. Harvard falls to Dartmouth in overtime, seven to six. That's a crowd-pleasing kind of score. People got their time investment repaid and then some on this one. And well worth it. I mean, even though uh, it, it was a loss for Harvard, but I wouldn't feel bad about it because, A, it's game one and there's a lot more to play, so I wouldn't be too concerned about it for that. B, Dartmouth is a popular pick to surprise a bunch of people in the in the ECAC. And C, Harvard showed that on the power play they're going to be lethal they ended up going five for seven on the power play with uh, dartmouth serving eight total penalties and 16 minutes worth of uh, of penalties that's really bad uh, i would be concerned about 
the defense and the goaltending because uh, they only gave up 27 shots total. Michael Lackey gave up seven goals. It's very fortunate that uh, that Harvard controlled the shot counter as much as they did with uh, 43 to set, 27 being the ultimate uh, margin of victory for the shots. 23 to 10 was the total for the first period, which let me reiterate, Harvard got 23 shots in their first period of play this season. Harvard's going to be an offensive team to watch with particular attention worthy uh, to be drawn for Jack Bedini and Colton Kerfoot. If you remember the name Kerfoot, that's because his older brother, Alex Kerfoot, was a superstar at Harvard and is now a very good player with the Colorado Avalanche. So uh, there's plenty of stuff to be really excited for on Harvard's end. And worth uh, for me, I'll be at their home opener on Friday against Quinnipiac, which... Uh, who thought that an early season game between Harvard and Quinnipiac would be really exciting, but that is going to be a fun game, methinks. It's going to be a great weekend for Harvard. They play Quinnipiac on Friday, and then on Saturday they get that Princeton team that, much like Dartmouth, is picked as a non-traditional ECAC school, at least recently, to possibly make some waves in that conference. And they come in number 19 in the latest USCHO poll. And we've been going through these schools. Of course, we're going through the Beanpot schools. And the one that had the best weekend, and it wasn't even close, was Northeastern, who went on the road in a game they did need. They needed to get a win at Songus against UMass Lowell, and they got it 4-1. And then they came home to Matthews Arena to play the number two team in the country, St. Cloud State, off of that walloping they gave Boston College just a couple of days earlier. And Northeastern, in what was a fantastic game to watch start to finish, really just a lot of fun. Northeastern managed to take a 3-2 win at Matthews Arena. They have a statement win now. It's a it's a big time thing. Uh, you always need to have those defining points of your season, and it's a great departure point for Northeastern from last season, in which they were viewed as a one line team that the one top line of Godetzikara and Stevens carried them to most every bit of success that they had. I think beating St. Cloud and battling them the way that they did verifies them as a okay. This is more than a one-off year. This is more than just a one-off uh, run that they could go through. Uh, this is a good team. This is a team that will find ways to win games. And uh, I think there's plenty to be really, really, really excited for out of Northeastern. And I'll echo your sentiments on it was a great game to watch. It was a magnificent game. It's probably the best college hockey game that's been played so far this season and uh it's it should be it should probably be considered on the list of best games played when we get to the end of the season but a quick note about that uh that lull game in songus that was a really good demonstration of Northeastern's ability to play some defense as well because they held Lowell to five shots in the second and four four shots on goal in the third and Caden Primo only allowed one goal that came in the third period. And, uh, uh, it was a, uh, it was a 17 shot effort for Lowell 
and Caden Primo did what he needed to. So on the, so they showed that they have all the different pieces that you need in order to win something. And they, for big chunks of that game against St. Cloud, ran the show. It wasn't just a upset team riding a hot gold tender to a victory in which uh, they were opportunistic. No, for big parts of it, they completely ran the show and made St. Cloud look like they were flattened on their heels. So that is uh, the kind of game that you rally a program around for the season. Be excited, Northeastern. Also worth noting that they were down 2 nothing at one point in that game. Of course, the... The old hockey wonks will tell you that two nothing is the least safe lead in hockey. Of course, I don't know why two one then wouldn't be the least safe lead in hockey, being that that's how numbers work. But that's what they'll say anyway. But that's still quite a thing to come back from two goals down against one of the best teams in the country, who, by the way, has not just gotten that ranking early this season, but they've looked every bit the part. Oh yeah, and I mean. It was the kind of game where you could respect and uh, accept either team winning it based on the quality of play. Because there are some games you watch where one team thoroughly dominates and uh, the other one doesn't deserve it, uh, does, doesn't deserve to win at all. There are some games in which one team dominates and loses because they maybe made one or two mistakes or because one player made all the difference. And then there's some games like this one where both teams play really, 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 really well. You can both draw a lot of positives from it, and you both did some really good things. But one side plays just slightly better, and that one team gets the win. Because for big parts of it, Jeff Smith was the best player on the ice. And St. Cloud's a really interesting position because they have – I think they're the only college hockey team – going right now that runs a proper goalie tandem with David Rennick and Jeff Smith. And I just think that that's a really curious position to get into because what do you do come tournament season for them? Because you know they're going to be in the NCAA tournament in all likelihood, and you know that they're going to be in the NCHC frozen face-off again. So I just that's a really interesting St. Cloud team, and they've absolutely earned – their top ranking. They did slip a little bit all all the way from the first ranking down to the second ranking. So uh big, big slip for the Huskies, clearly, but that that's gonna be a team that you pay attention to the entire rest of the year. They've totally earned their spot. And wrapping up with Northeastern and also with BU. Big weekend for both of those schools is they're going to be at a home and home with each other. It starts, we're recording this on Wednesday, so it starts tomorrow night, Thursday at Matthews Arena. This is, well, this is not a good time for BU to be playing a team that really handled them last season, but as we've mentioned, that was a different team on both sides. Yeah, both of them, I mean, even behind the bench on in one case, that was that was a far different uh, different unit that BU threw out there. But, I mean, there's still a lot of bad blood between, uh, between Northeastern and BU. And if you ever got Jim Madigan to tell you the unbridled truth, I'm pretty certain that he would uh, say that BU is the team that he uh, has had the greatest battles with and uh, has had the greatest competition against. 
So there is a lot of uh, hype around that game. And there's uh, around Northeastern's campus, that, that building's going to be pretty fold up. And uh, they're going to pepper Jake Ottinger with plenty of shots. That'd be my expectation. And I'd be disappointed if we didn't get a full Matthews arena for the Thursday night game, which is a little bit odd timing, I'll admit. Also, one thing to note about Matthews, just the building itself, scoreboard isn't in yet. They were supposed to put in a new video board, but they haven't done so yet. And I actually overheard some St. Cloud fans yelling up, where's the scoreboard at uh, at uh, the Friday, uh, at the Saturday game? So Matthews, admittedly, is someone who hasn't seen it without it. It looks a little bit weird without it, but uh, the team looks just as good on the ice. So, you know, who who really cares? That's just in the curious observations category on the buildings. Yeah, it, it's always kind of undergoing renovation. It had the big one in 2010 for its 100th birthday to get the full facelift and to try and bring it up a little bit more so they know they can keep it for a longer period of time. And I think they did fantastic work with it. It's funny, I get that feeling all the time when I walked into Matthews as an alumnus, because when I was there, they had an old scoreboard that wasn't quite the same as the as the one they installed in 2010 and certainly won't be the one that they're installing coming moving forward. So it, it's funny, That's it's been that way for me. But that's a that's a building where it's always been tough to win, even when they were a bit of a doormat in Hockey East. That was not a place you wanted to go, especially early in the season. But now the way Northeastern's playing and the way BU's playing, this is a big weekend for both schools. And, you know, I would love to say that it's a good chance to build some distance between Northeastern and the other their Hockey East rivals in the Boston area. But I just, I don't know why. I just see this is going to have to be a split. You think the home teams claim uh, claim each game on their home ice, you think? Or, uh, or is my, my guess is that Northeastern is absolutely going to be hyped up enough to uh, get that home victory at Matthews. I just wonder if, the, uh, if those veteran players on, uh, on the Terrier side will rally at home. And also keep in mind, the three games that uh, Northeastern played against BU last season, while admittedly the teams were rather significantly different, there's a lot of pieces carried carried forward into this year. Namely, both goaltenders, uh, a not small part of the defensive core, and enough of the forwards were there last year who are here this year. And Northeastern was an awful matchup for BU. I still think that if the Hockey East title game were Northeastern BU instead of Providence BU, I think I think BU would have lost to Northeastern in the Hockey East championship game. And at least at Matthews, I could absolutely see uh, Northeastern winning this. I wouldn't be shocked if, it, if they were to turn on the Jets and put some distance on them in the third. And I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a sweep for the Huskies. I, I would like to see the Terriers prove me wrong but I haven't been convinced by uh, by my alma mater so far this year. It It's a big weekend for BU just in that they're much like BC. They're absolutely reeling right now, but they're also doing it with a new coach in Albie O'Connell. Now he's 
he was and still is one of the most well-liked people in college hockey. You don't hear a lot of bad things about Albie O'Connell, and he's always talked about as someone who the players have always liked. So this is also an opportunity for them to rally around their new coach who's just having they, – they've had this rough start, and they can get back on track. I It could be much like last season where when BU gets it back – they have it back and they're suddenly off to the races, but they've got to get there at some point and they've got to turn to their own players, especially the returning players and hope that they can pull one out this weekend, essentially for Albie. I mean, that's pretty much what they have to play for. And that's pretty much going to be their situation. I hope for their sake that they do it. Um, I hope that uh, they don't put up, 18 shots in the game total because that's not going to be enough to beat Northeastern in either one of these. So I don't know what to expect out of BU for this weekend. They just looked a bit lost. I'll admit they didn't look quite as lost as BC did against St. Cloud, but they didn't look good. So maybe I'm speaking with a little bit more pessimism than uh, because uh, just maybe I am uh, – on a little bit of a championship high from last year where B won hockey East and made their run. And that was that, but you can't overlook the simple fact that Albie has never held a head coaching job before. And I think it, I think part of it might be just him getting adjusted to the head coaching role, which David Quinn owned and operated so well for so long. Maybe he, maybe he's struggling with the transition. Maybe, uh, maybe he needs to get some new players in who are, players that he head coached and not guys who are really David Quinn's players. Maybe, I don't know, but I don't feel that good from, uh, from BU's perspective facing Northeastern. That's a bad matchup for, uh, for the Terriers and a great one for the Huskies. Likewise, I may be just projecting a little bit based on how many times I've watched Northeastern play BU in a game of any importance and just had it ripped out of me because that's how that's how those teams matched up for so long so I, even though it's entirely a different northeastern program as we've talked about at length for so long it it's still there as a fan that kind of thing never goes away and and it's just it it's I can't help but think this is this has got to be the weekend that BU gets a win because, of course, it would be against Northeastern when they're flying high. That's how it always seems to go, except last year. But like like you believe that they would have – that the Huskies would have won had they made the Hockey East final. I honestly did not want to see BU again. I just felt like there was going to be some kind of break, some kind of bounce that would have had to have happened because that's just – eventually the apple will fall off the tree and hit the ground that that's what gravity does wow you're speaking like a fan who's uh had his heart ripped out of him a couple times over so <laughs> a, a fan who went to college during the bruce crowder era mind you so so i also i'm still not that familiar with northeastern as a really good serious program <laughs> That that's still a new one on me, and it's still kind of sinking in slowly every year. But getting off of our normal East Coast bias, we have to talk about another ECAC team. 
as opposed to Harvard. This is, of course, Harvard's rival, Cornell, and they had a rough weekend. You know, I've got to kind of come clean here. I make a lot of jokes about Michigan State because every team in the Big Ten seems like they're a tough out, and then there's poor Sparty at the bottom of it. In a different conference, they probably wouldn't have been the butt of my jokes, and they can't be anymore because they swept a great Cornell team. This is a rough start to the season for the Ivy and a surprising start to the season for the Spartans, who they've got their work cut out for them in conference, but they're not the team they were last year. They seem like they're on the rise a little bit. And particularly with uh, these games were in Ithaca at liner rink, which is regularly, and I'll argue until the end of time, very correctly, listed among the best home ice advantages in all of college hockey, possibly one of the best home field advantages in all of college sports. I think it, I think that's very correct in, uh, in its analysis and I'll go a lot kinder on Cornell than, uh, than we did on, uh, on BU or BC because this is the first two games of the season Michigan State was out there trying to prove a point, and uh, Cornell is now dealing with the burden of living up to really high expectations. And part of me wonders if they're not over that very poor end to the season from last year and the very, very poor end to, uh, to the NCAA tournament. Particularly, Matt Galeta had a pretty poor weekend. Uh, the, the, the first game of the weekend against the Spartans. He faced a grand total of 19 shots and allowed four goals. His successor, Austin McGrath came on, faced three shots and allowed a goal of his own. So it's not like he had that much better of a night. And the Michigan state only got 22 shots total on net and five of them went in. And the other game, they only got the Spartans only got 27 shots on goal. And four of those went in Cornell. Meanwhile, 39 shots in the third, or excuse me, 39 shots for the game, 18 for the third, and uh, the night before, 34 shots total. So I think offensively, I definitely think that Cornell will get a better performance than two goals and three goals if they average 34 shots a game or something crazy like that, which is weird to say about Cornell because they've won you know, one nothing, two nothing games for the past thirty years at least, but they actually have real quality offensive talent to to show for uh, to show. So I'll go kind on them and say that you know it's game one and two. They'll be okay. This isn't a conference loss, but uh, don't. Uh, I would hope that uh, Galeta can get his confidence back after the really poor ending to the ECAC tournament and NCAA tournament is my only bit of concern for Cornell. Meanwhile, just taking a look at Michigan State so far, they split with Northern Michigan at home in East Lansing. That's a that's a pretty good Northern Michigan team, so that was already a pretty strong start. But then going into Cornell and getting the sweep that's huge for a program that, you know, they needed something to build on because, again, they're going to have their work cut out for them. When they get in the conference play, every team has a number next to their name. It's just going to be brutal. 
but to get those wins against Cornell, that's that's a big, you said it's something to prove, and they proved it. They now have a home-and-home home with Ferris State coming up, and just to make a quick transition, the next weekend, they're at Arizona State, and talk about teams that we saw as kind of write-offs who were having a great start to the season. The Sun Devils, the Ice Devils, the Arizona State program, the youngest college hockey program, coming off two straight sweeps. Suddenly, Arizona State, how about that? And it's worth noting, so here are the teams that they've played. They hosted uh, Alaska on October 6th and 7th, and they won in two shutouts, 3 nothing and 5 to nothing. So that's an okay. So you beat the Nanooks, who are a team that uh, that's winless so far, that uh, is, you know, struggling to find uh, find their stride. Then they uh, hosted Ohio State three to two and three nothing, and at a time when Ohio State became the number one overall team in the country, which you played them close. You played a Frozen Four team very very close at home for most of the weekend, and that's totally fine. There's no shame in losing to Ohio State. Then going to Huntsville to play the uh, to play the Chargers, two one and five one, and then this weekend hosting an NCHC school, Nebraska Omaha, six three and seven two. Now to be completely fair and completely uh, realistic, I don't think Nebraska Omaha is they're not a top level NCHC school like Denver or St Cloud North Dakota, but still, that's a very good hockey school. That is a very, very good Nebraska-Omaha team that they hosted and played really pretty well. And if you're looking for one individual player to pay attention to from the uh, from the Sun Devils, Johnny Walker. He's a sophomore forward for them. Eight games played, five assists, and eight goals for 13 points. He's a goal-a-game player for the Sun Devils so far and has looked excellent for them. So... Arizona State now has a go-to scorer, and they have a defense that can limit your opportunities. So my only hope is that they continue to have some success is they've got themselves uh, they've got themselves a trip to Happy Valley this weekend, which have fun. And then November is actually a tough uh, tough stretch for them because all of their stretch all of their uh, games are on the our uh our two game series because the closest team to them teams to them are in colorado though i hope that unlv or uh grand canyon i've heard some people say that they might try and jump into division one hockey my only hope is that someone else from that area from the american southwest decides that they want to play division one ice hockey and can actually start something so that arizona state has more regular nearby competitors because they're starting to develop something out there and they're getting a new building pretty soon i think the ground's gonna break on that place in 2020 i think yeah so uh the story from this past june is that their new campus is expected to be ready for november of the 2020-2021 season so get excited for that and hope that unlv looks at this and decides that they want to have a team well something that might get the interest going on Saturday of last weekend. North Dakota defeated Minnesota 3-1 in a renewal of one of the great college hockey rivalries. 
right there at the ice Vegas. So there's, there's a little bit of a plea to UNLV going on right now as that's, that's one of the crown jewel kind of games of college hockey and they got it right there in their own backyard. They got to see college hockey at its best and the game did not disappoint three to one. That's quite a hockey game that happened there in Orleans arena in paradise, just outside of Vegas and early lead in the second period. And then North Dakota just pulled away with two goals from Colton Pullman pacing the action for the fighting Hawks and a big win for North Dakota and one they kind of needed against a Minnesota school that, well, they really struggled to get shots in this game. Yeah. 21 total shots for the Gophers, 33 for North Dakota. And from what I could tell, it looked like both schools were fairly well represented, but it did look like there was more green than, uh, than, maroon and gold in the uh in the arena it definitely looked like there were there were more uh more green and black jerseys in uh in vegas for whatever that's worth i also saw there were a lot of alums who uh who threw out their support and said that if they were uh, available to go and support their team that they would have absolutely gone like tj Oshie and brock besser but uh, either some of them, I think there were plenty of alums who did, plenty of hockey alums who did end up going from both schools. And you can only hope that people will look at that and say, hey, this is pretty cool, particularly in a place where the Golden Knights have really taken a strong footing. Uh, you can only hope that uh, that things go over pretty well. Also, if I want to throw a little bit of concern for North Dakota, uh, Grant Mismash game misconduct on a checking from behind penalty and somehow they still ended up winning even though they uh served 27 penalty minutes on uh on eight penalties so uh be a little bit more careful about the game misconducts granted sam rossini and tyler she both of uh of minnesota same concern that's the only downside of this game otherwise looked like a fun time out and uh out out in the sun valley I hope that the American Southwest takes to uh, takes to this college hockey thing because that's an untapped market and that's an untapped place for potential hockey excellence. And with Walker having some real success at Arizona State, I think there's hockey players who would want to go out to uh, to the desert and enjoy their time so that they're not, you know, freezing up in Boston or the Upper Peninsula or Minnesota or there and they're still playing major time hockey. I think that's a pitch that you could make to some people, right? Yeah, that's not a bad one necessarily. So it'd be nice to see some more schools around Arizona State that they could play against and maybe have the occasional home and home. Meanwhile, for Minnesota and North Dakota, this weekend doesn't get any easier. Minnesota in a home and home with Minnesota State Mankato currently the number four team in the USCHO poll, and North Dakota hosting Wisconsin. It's it's almost as if this sport is actually geared towards constant excitement and consistent entertainment or something. But uh, I that series between the Mavericks and the Bulldogs was 
one of the most interesting series that we had all year last year. And it, it was a good split. And it was one of those validating series in which the Mavericks really proved that they were a team to stay long-term and a team that uh, would be in the running for uh, regular rankings. And they've definitely proven so far, despite my earlier skepticism that there's a lot of uh, bits that have changed about the Mavericks, but now they're five and one so far. They did drop in the rankings a little bit. They went from, uh, from, I think they were three at one point. They were seven last week. They're fourth now. They're definitely worthy of their uh, their spot that high up in the polls behind only Providence, St. Cloud, and Duluth. And I don't think there's much argument that those uh, two schools should be up. Uh, there definitely isn't. I don't think there should be much of any argument that Minnesota Duluth is currently the number one team in the nation, especially after two thrilling games against the Fighting Irish over the weekend on the road yeah i could almost hear our listeners now even though this is a recorded podcast i could hear people screaming through time that we've been burying the lead this whole time minnesota duluth and notre dame this was a matchup of the number three team in the country and the number one team in the country and minnesota duluth the defending national champions took the sweep in Compton Ice Arena. This is exactly what you need to do to prove that last season wasn't a peak, that they are here to stay, and the Bulldogs looked excellent in dispatching Notre Dame. They deserve to be the number one team in the country with an exclamation point. And truthfully, it wasn't as if they thoroughly dominated them from start to finish. It was a 3-2 to two and a 3-1 to one hockey game, 3-2 on Friday night, 3-1 on Saturday, against a Notre Dame team that yeah, they're 3-2-1 and one so far that they could be a bit better. They only got 23 shots on goal in the, in the Friday night game and were outshot 39-23 to 23 with Cale Morris, again, carrying his weight and very possibly uh, putting up a performance that could get him another nomination for uh, for the Mike Richter Award as the nation's top goaltender. So for Notre Dame's side, it's not as if they played badly because they really didn't. They put up a good fight, and Notre Dame will be in the discussion moving forward. It's just a validation of how excellent the uh, the Bulldogs are again. And you're right in your in your description of uh, of just how well they have played particularly at least from uh, from what I've been able to see. Scott Perunovic has looked outstanding. Eight games played so far for him. Only one goal, but 10 assists. That's the most assists by anyone in the country. Uh, and he's got 11 points so far on the year. That's behind only the previously mentioned Johnny Walker of Arizona State and Max Johnson of Bowling Green. So Perunovic continues to anchor a really, really good Duluth blue line that can almost win games by themselves as they did in the Frozen Four. I I uh, don't envy people who have to go on the road to Amasol Arena, and I also don't envy people who have to welcome the Bulldogs into their home arena because that's a team that can win anywhere they play. And speaking of teams who had a great weekend, and while we're going out toward the Western Conferences, Bowling Green 
takes on Ohio State with a home and home, and they come away with three points. Not just three points. They started on Friday night at Value City Arena in Columbus with an 8-2 win. We talked about how good they are offensively. They proved it on Friday night. And to take away a win and a tie against a team as good as Ohio State says a lot about how good Bowling Green is this year. I mean, it was just a complete domination. Max Johnson, the previously mentioned Max Johnson, who's at the top of the scoring race so far and probably in the way too early category for Hobie Baker candidates, hat trick with uh, two of those goals coming in the first period. He led the charge for uh, for Bowling Green in what really is a remarkable showing for them so far through uh, through the fairly early bits of the season. And again, they were in the just barely on the uh, the outside looking in of the uh, of the NCAA tournament. They actually haven't started conference play yet, or they haven't played a WCHA game yet. So I really want to see what they can end up doing. I'm really curious to see what their uh, matchup is going to be like when they host Northern Michigan or Minnesota State or Michigan Tech. Uh, I really want to see what they can do against the premier schools in uh in their conference and for oh look at that fortunately we don't have to wait long for them to get northern they get them this week at home and in bowling green so uh that that's exciting yeah we talked about the wcha quite a bit in our season preview and i think we kind of overlooked Bowling Green. We did talk about them, but not nearly as much as we talked about some other schools. And yet here they are. They look like so far the class of a crowded conference along with Minnesota State, who has their big weekend coming up. And Minnesota State and Bowling Green, by the way, get together on December 14th and 15th in Slater Family Ice Arena in Bowling Green. So if you're looking forward to big WCHA matchups, that one is coming up in, well, just over a month and change. But yeah, that that game against those games against Northern this weekend, that's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to get to learn even more about this Bowling Green team. And we get to learn a bit more about the dynamics of a new WCHA, which – it's been like this since the 13-14 season, but for a lot of folks, we're still kind of getting used to it because the WCHA meant one thing for so long, and it's now a completely different conference. But it, this is still some high quality, some really, really high quality action that we've got here. And a Bowling Green team that's been competitive for a while, they were just barely on the outside of uh, of the NCAA tournament last season. They lost to Northern Michigan in the playoffs last year. They were in the the WCHA championship game at uh, the McInnes Ice Center at Michigan Tech and ended up losing that game in double overtime. So this is a Bowling Green team that's been knocking on the door for a while and that's been really, really close. But it looks like, at least through the early bit, they might have found a bit of a breakthrough. And Chris Bergeron has got something to work with. You can only hope that... This offense keeps up because later on in the year, it does get a lot 
heavier hitting. It does get a lot more gritty and a lot more physical. And Bowling Green has shown that they can run rough shot on people. I just wonder if when we get late on into the season that they'll have the defensive intensity to be able to shut teams down because they did give up. They put up eight goals on Ohio State, a defensively stout team, but those two goals that they gave up to the Buckeyes came 607 and 654, less than a, in, in the third period. So less than a minute apart from each other. And both of those were, had they not gotten a couple of goals a bit earlier, both of those would have been for a lot of teams, an opportunity for them to get back into the game late. So that's my only question with Bowling Green. And we're not going to be able to answer it until a bit later on, but I've loved what I've seen out of them so far. Speaking of conferences and teams we may have overlooked in our season preview, something is going on in Atlantic hockey that might be a little hard to explain. First of all, big teams coming into play programs in the Atlantic are leaving licking their wounds, surprisingly. Mercyhurst, of course, tied Notre Dame in what turned out to be a crazy game. Notre Dame, of course, won in technical tournament name only so they could move on to the final and have a fantastic final in that early season tournament. But Mercyhurst did tie Notre Dame in terms of how it goes down sacred heart they only have one point this season it came against providence who's currently the number three team in the country rit suddenly a team that no one wants to play they had a good weekend against union college so this is a this is a conference that maybe we didn't have pegged so well because all we really talked about in our preview was how good Air Force was. And oh, by the way, Air Force, not all that good so far. Well, I mean, I'll cut them a little bit of slack. Emphasis on a little because their first game of the year hosted Denver. And I will fully admit to completely underselling the Denver Pioneers. They won four to one. And then they then went to Colorado Springs and lost six to one. Oh boy. And Frank Saratori did say that last year's team was not his most talented team, but his best team that he'd ever coached there. And if it is at one point ever your best team that you coach, there's totally a possibility for uh for that team to then fall back and for that team to have a bit of uh of struggles and well, they certainly have had that in the early going of their season, and they've split their last two uh, their last two road series against Canisius, which is also on the list of teams that uh, were favored near the top of Atlantic hockey. They then split hosting Niagara, which is very surprising, and they get the, the miserable task of having to go into Tate Rink at West Point and play the play the United States Military Academy. Which uh, have fun, guys. That's that's a weird game for a team that, if they win, it's a it's normally a fairly low scoring game, with the exception of their seven to three win over Canisius. But if they win, it's normally two one three one. Army plays pretty much exactly the same way by and large, and Army is also uh, on the list of teams that really should be uh you know should be considered in the category of uh, a respectable unit four and four two and one overall three oh and one in the conference to this point so 
throw them on the list of uh, fairly surprising teams coming out of uh, out of the Atlantic in the early going. Yeah, at least early, it seems like we've had the Atlantic all wrong. They're still, the schools are still a bit smaller. They're still a bit behind the curve in a lot of ways, but they're tough to play and they're tough places, especially to go on the road and play. And then they're beating each other up in conference. That could be a lot of fun to watch the Atlantic this year as it looks to be a little bit more wide open than it's been in recent years, but that's early. Of course, this can all change in just a matter of two weeks when suddenly the teams that we expected to win get a couple of sweeps and they start puffing out their chest. That could happen in any of these conferences. So, and we, when we say early surprise, take that with a grain of salt. It's still very early. We're not even a full month into the college hockey season. Yeah. Um, and Air Force had a similar start to their year last year when they were expected to be a great overwhelming powerhouse, and they struggled off the blocks. And a lot of their guys went down with uh, some pretty non-significant injuries. I'm not sure if uh, uh, if they have any to deal with right now, but Rank Saratori turned it around and uh, got his team going in the in the right direction again. So I definitely think that uh, there's there's more to work with for this team. They're two and four overall, two and two in conference. I think they can turn it around. I think that they can. Uh, I think that they've got uh, an interesting run, especially against an army team with uh, with some history against them. All all the service academies have history with each other and have rivalry with each other, which is part of the reason why these kind of matchups are a lot of fun generally. So. Uh, and they play very similar styles of hockey. That physical, grind you out, beat you up kind of uh, kind of hockey games, which favors service academies where those guys are probably the are not probably they're almost certainly the most well conditioned f- physically the most well conditioned players that you'll see in any of uh, in any college hockey game of the year. So. I still think plenty to look for for uh, for for the Falcons. Just take it with a sense of it's early and Saratori knows what he's doing. They'll turn it around, I think. Um, where are you going to be this weekend? Well, uh, I'm going to be at uh, I'm going to be at Northeastern for the Thursday night game. So. Uh, when they when they're hosting BU, then I'm going to be on Friday. I'm going to be at Harvard for their season opener against Quinnipiac. Which, if you want to consider teams that uh, we didn't that I I didn't expect that much out of Quinnipiac so far, five and zero oh through the season, twenty one goals for and seven goals allowed. They're living up to the reputation of a very good and very stout defensive team, but they're actually scoring some bit. And against a Harvard team that. Through one game, and I'll admit, through one game, seven goals allowed, six goals for. That has the potential to break either for uh, a physical, defensive, grindy game, which is great, or it could be a shootout, which is also great. So uh, I'm going to be at uh, at Harvard on Friday night, and I'm going to be at BU for the end of the home-and-home between the Huskies and Terriers on Saturday night. And 
closing out, what would you say across the country, what would you say is your matchup of the weekend that you're watching the most closely? Well, uh, aside from the ones that uh, I'm the most personally invested in, which uh, is uh, which really is uh, uh, these East Coast matchups, particularly the BU ones, I'm really intrigued to see what St. Cloud does to bounce back from their loss against Northeastern. They have the great opportunity to go to Colorado College and play two games against the Tigers at the World Arena in Colorado Springs. That's the matchup I'm really, really intrigued about. And I'll go with Ohio State and Notre Dame, both coming off of rough weekends where neither of them got a win, and they've got a Big Ten matchup between the two of them on both Friday and Saturday at Compton Family Ice Arena. These will be a fun pair of games to check out, and one of them is going to be nationally televised. The Saturday night game is going to be on NBC Sports Network. So if you happen to still, if you're one of the holdouts who still has cable, then maybe check it out there. We've got a national college hockey matchup. And of course, it involves Notre Dame and NBC. But it's Notre Dame and Ohio State. These are both great teams, and it should be one heck of a set of games this weekend. I I fully agree. This is uh this is when the season really starts ramping up because now everybody's playing, all the conferences are in full blast, and there's pretty much no let up until Christmas time. Then we get a week and a half, two weeks to breathe easy. Then we get our holiday tournaments and also the world juniors. Then after we get back from that, it's a marathon run until April when we have the national championship weekend, which this is really when the season starts to turn into, wow, okay, so now we kind of know who our teams are. I think after this weekend, we'll have a really good sense of where everyone stands and uh, we'll be able to determine things a bit more. So gear up, gear up for a good time. And if I might make one personal appeal, I'll make sure that because election day is coming up on Tuesday. This is the one time where I'll veer, veer away from sports. Make sure that uh, you go and make sure, sh- make sure that you vote on Tuesday because uh, well, it's just a good idea to do so. Make sure that you look up the uh, things that are up for election and make sure you vote on Tuesday. That's my only appeal that I'll make. That's not uh, the only non-sports thing I'll say about uh, this kind of stuff on this podcast. Yeah, I'll bank off that really quickly and also just point out to people, pay attention to those local races. You have no idea how much more power the people in those local and state races have on your daily life than a lot of the national stuff that we spend so much time hearing about in the news and talking about. So pay attention to your local races. Think think locally and go out and vote and do your part. And that's as far as we'll go with it. This has been Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined by Chris Lynch, our New England correspondent. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CC Lynch Wall. Please follow this podcast wherever you get this podcast. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, keep your head up and your hits clean.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.